what led you to do this? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, it, it's a lot of different things, but I mean, I think a big driving force for me was just uh, not being able to work much during the pandemic. I have a little five-year-old daughter uh, and up here in Ontario, Canada, where our, our schools have been, uh, were closed for a good chunk of last year. Sure. Um, I, I had to kind of step in and be the daddy daycare and the daddy kindergarten teacher. Uh, and uh, and yeah, and after after a year and a half of doing that, um, you know, and I love my daughter, she's lovely. Uh, I really was really chomping at the bit uh, to, to get back to uh, directing. And uh, and I didn't want to, I have other projects that I'm pitching and, and all of them require financing and bigger timelines and stuff. And I, I really wanted to do something that was quicker. Uh, more immediate. I love horror films. I love genre films in general. I love sci-fi as well. Uh, and I wanted to do something that was sort of achievable and short and bite-sized. Uh, and so working with my cinematographer, Gregory Bennett, uh, we sort of came up with the idea to, to make these really super short horror films uh, and just put them online and see what happens, right? Like I've never, a lot of the stuff that I've done before has been uh, for broadcast or, or for film festivals and that kind of thing. And I've, I've always wanted to, to just create something specifically for the web and, and have just never done it. So, so it's all a little bit of an experiment over here. Uh, that, that's, I, you know, that's the primary reason I wanted to do it is it's feeling like basically cabin fever. Uh, <laughs> and wanting to uh, really wanted to, to do something that could be achieved quickly, you know. And we shot it in in six days, so we did one short per day, which is uh, you know it's unusual, uh, especially sure. independent filmmaking when you have very small budgets and very small crews. And that was certainly true of our project. Uh, we could have used uh, another five people, and, and you know, <laughs> been a lot easier. Uh, but uh, but having that that this the small amount of material to cover each day uh, made it quite manageable. We didn't have super long days. Everybody was you know well rested and stuff. And um, and so yeah, so it was it was actually fun to come to set every day and do something completely different than the day than the day before. So yeah. An idea for short horror films using standing sets was the genesis for Creepy Bits from writer-director David Fernandez. As I have my fourth selection in my month-long horror podcast to discover. This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. I'm Tony Tolato, and here is my conversation with writer-director David Fernandez. Talk about some of the choices of stories that you picked. Again, because this is so low budget, um, I, I, I kind of focused the stories around the coolest locations that I could find uh, close to where I live. So I have a friend, uh, Simon Winterson, uh, who's also one of the producers on this series, uh, who owns uh, a number of um, studios here. The studios are, I mean, warehouses that are full of standing sets. Uh, so a standing set is a, is a set that's already built and you can yeah. go and just sort of redress it and, and use it. So it saves you a lot of money and time, obviously, than having to build something from scratch. Uh, I was going to do all six of them on his sets, but one of the locations that he is leasing uh, had, a, had a conflict with uh, one, of the, um, one of the environmental authorities around here and they, we weren't able to film there. In the, in the end. So two of them, we ended up filming uh, not on digital canaries sets, but uh, four of them we did. 
and three of them were located in an, in a, in a closed uh, Catholic elementary school, uh, <laughs> which, you know, being Portuguese and growing up Catholic was kind of, you know, fun to be shooting like, you know, horror movies about demons and stuff inside an old <laughs> Catholic elementary school. Um, so we shot, uh, three of them in there. Um, one of them was a period piece, uh, involving uh, a clown and a, and a gift that he's given to a young Yeah. Player. Clowns are scary. Clowns yeah. scare. They scare me. They do. Yeah, they really do. And uh, another one that we shot in the old school there was an interrogation scene. They have a standing set in that building that is set up like an interrogation room. Uh, so it's a, a police officer and, uh, and a, someone who's been accused, uh, suspected of killing her boyfriend by removing his head. Uh, so that that's really the only one that has a lot of dialogue in it. All the rest of them are, are pretty much almost no dialogue at all. And then uh, the third one that we shot in that old school it's called Pitter Patter. That's episode five. And that's a janitor who's kind of cleaning up after hours at night and starts hearing footsteps and chases them around the school. So we had yeah, these, I saw uh, that on the trailer. Yeah, that looked uh, that was good. That looked good. Yeah. So we uh, so we used the school as a school uh, in that case. But in, in the other cases, it was a hospital, uh, an old hospital ward because it's an older building and it, it has a you know older kind of look to the windows and everything. Uh, and then also as a police interrogation room. Then the other two that we filmed on um, Digital Canaries. Again, Simon Winterson has a, he had bought the interior of a passenger airplane. So all of like, if you're sitting in a plane, like everything that you would see uh, basically is all modular and attaches to the, you know, the fuselage of the, of the plane. Uh, so he, this plane was being decommissioned. So he bought the interior, had his crew basically build uh, like a steel structure uh, to support it. Uh, and then also made it modular so that um, it can be shipped off to other, because we have a lot of filming up here in the Toronto area. Oh, yeah. Um, number of massive uh, film studios in Toronto and also now outside of Toronto as well in Markham and Barrie and here in Hamilton as well, where I live. Uh, we're about 70 kilometers from Toronto. So a lot of, there's just so many productions filming around here. And uh, so he wanted the set to be able to be shipped off. So it basically, it comes in, I think, eight foot sections. And oh. coming on a 28 or 32 foot section of it. Uh, and the galley is on its own little section and the, the lavatories are on their own little section and the seats are, you know, can be moved or reconfigured uh, and stuff. Uh, so he had half of this thing built uh, back in June. And I was like, Simon, let's, let's get the other half built and then we can film a short on it. And, you know, and he wasn't, he wasn't sure if he was going to have the time to do it, but he ended up, you know, the night before they're like, <laughs> putting the wiring in. Oh. <laughs> That's everything. We got in there and uh, we're basically the first people to, to film on this, you know, on this complete uh, sort of section of, of the passenger airplane. You know, for a small independent production like this to, to be able to have something take place on an airplane uh, adds a lot of production value, obviously. Sure. Uh, and uh, we couldn't have done it without having these kinds of crazy things here uh, in our city. Um, and he's got other airplanes as well. Like he's, he's like, they're all like chopped off basically. They've got the cockpit <laughs> part of the cabin and they're sitting in this warehouse and you just, you basically just need to light them. And then, you know, Hey, you're on a plane. So. There you go. There is more on creepy bits. So stay tuned. Yeah. What about your cast? How did you uh, find these were, were these folks you knew or how did you arrange that? Yeah, I think there were only a couple that I that I had sort of thought beforehand that I that I wanted to cast. So um, Malika Hani Hamadi, I'd seen in a um, 
Black Christmas fan film that a friend of mine, that friends of mine did. So uh, Black Christmas is a Canadian slasher film from the, the mid 70s, which kind of predated yeah. Hall- Halloween. And it, some people don't know about it. So, I mean, Halloween, is, you know, is such a massive uh, sure. film in, the, in, the, in that genre. But uh, so Black Christmas came out a few years before it. Malika had uh, had been one of the three actresses who starred in um, in this my friend's uh, uh, fan film, and my Gregory Bennett, who shot uh, the Creepy Bits series, also was the director of photography on that. Oh, uh, I thought she was great, so she was somebody that I'd already kind of figured that I wanted to to do it. But um, I realized at some point that you know trying to cast non-union actors. Uh, from the internet is just going to be way too much work for me yeah. to weed out who's good and who isn't. So I just happened to be watching uh, Psycho Gorman. I don't know if you've heard of that film. No, but not yet. It's, it's pretty fun. It's a really, really fun uh, kind of 80s like special oh, okay. movie kind of style thing. It, it's new. It came mm-hmm. out last year. Okay. Uh, but, but there's a young girl in it who was just so incredibly fantastic. And I'm like, who the hell was the casting director for this? Because they, they found you know such a great actor. Uh, and so I ended up contacting Ashley Hallahan, who was the casting director for Psycho Gorman. Uh, and it turns out that that young woman was actually her niece uh, <laughs> from, another, from a different part of Canada. Who was really just looking to uh, to get into acting and, and ended up being absolutely spectacular. So uh, so I engaged Ashley to uh, to do a casting call for us and so she did a first cut uh and auditions and all that kind of stuff so i found most of the actors through the casting process by by using a casting director basically and and you know and for indie films a lot of times you just don't have the budget or the time or, or whatever oh, sure. to go through a casting agent but i i really a casting director i really uh it, it made a huge difference because I, I found much better quality actors than i think i would have been able to on my own, just posting, you know, notes on Facebook or, or you know, Mandy or something like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> as far as special effects, uh, how did you handle some of that? Or did you try to limit that and just concentrate on the story itself? Yeah, most of them are pretty, like, I'd say all of them are pretty story-centric. Like, I, I don't, we didn't really have the budget to do much of uh, any practical special effects or makeup special effects, but we did do some. There's a couple that, that have it. Uh, and I was very, very lucky to find um, uh, a key makeup artist uh, who can also do prosthetics. Uh, so her name's Natalia Pozo. Uh, and so she she worked on all of, all of the shorts, was the key makeup, but also uh, did prosthetics on, on the days that we needed it. And then in terms of visual effects, I'm working with someone by the name of Oliver Watson. He's another Toronto-based uh, visual effects artist. So he was able to do, even just on this episode here, just like like stuff that you wouldn't notice, uh, like cleaning up some parts of the set on, on the airplane that were missing <laughs> so that it just it looked more complete and wasn't distracting. So we have a little bit of visual effects uh, in five of the episodes, uh, none in the first one. Uh, and they range from just fixing little parts of the scenery to uh, doing some visual effects on on someone's face and uh, to to add to the prosthetics because um, we had a, a very young actor who was actually five years old one of the episodes and she does have some prosthetics but I mean with a five year old there's only like my my daughter wouldn't even have sat through even part of that. <laughs> So I was pretty shocked that this young woman, uh, Emily Mitchell, uh, was able to even just do what we did. Uh, and she loved it, you know, uh, but um, but it's a, it takes a long time to put on and it's, it's uncomfortable. And um, 
and so on. So we didn't want to do too much. So we did a little bit and we're going to use visual effects to kind of enhance it. It just like little things like kind of just adding to practical things that we were doing anyway. So it's, sure. not, like, it's not like full CGI kind mm-hmm. of like features or anything like that. It's more like uh, kind of compositing and, and sort of enhancing things that we were already able to achieve in camera. So yeah. That's cool. How was your editing process? Well, I'm doing it right now. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I, uh, I'm usually a Mac guy. So, you know, I'm not really used to having crashes and bugs and weird things going on. But I, I have this gaming PC that I was using for virtual reality games. I have, uh, I now have an Oculus, uh, but I, before that I had a, a, an HTC Vive. Because I, I love video games and I love like kind of trying to stay on top of how people are telling stories in that in that dimension as well. So I already had this PC and it was powerful enough to kind of be working with the uh, with the raw footage that we captured on on these um, on the on the series. Uh, whereas my Mac laptop uh, wasn't. I'd have to create proxies and and kind of yeah. and have a different process. So I was like, I might as well just try and get this thing going. Uh, so I did, and it was working okay, but I, I could tell that the graphics card, which was already four years old, was struggling. So I, I managed uh, to find a, like a pretty high-end new one, like an NVIDIA 3080 Ti. It kind of took the plunge to buy it. I'm glad I did. I mean, it, it's super-duper fast, and, and so I'm editing on DaVinci Resolve on Windows right now. Uh, and it, it's been buggy and it's been, uh, there were driver conflicts and thankfully the latest version of, uh, NVIDIA's drivers seemed to have solved the major problems I was having, but it, there was a lot of, I don't have a lot of hair, but there was a lot of hair pulling <laughs> <laughs> sort of late nights bashing my head. Yeah, I know that. Why things aren't working. And, um, like I said, coming from the Mac universe, I just, I don't know, like I, I haven't had the same experience of, of bugs and crashes and stuff like that and i've had a lot of them working on this project so it's been frustrating but uh when it works it works amazingly good and amazingly fast um and it's just sort of i don't know trying to just coax the right number of elements together so that you know it just keeps working yeah. uh, for as long as i need it to so yeah so we're doing all the post-production ourselves. i'm editing uh, the director of photography, Gregory Bennett, seen the color correction. So we have exact copies of everything. Uh, and he does it at home. He sends me a new timeline and I just, I basically call it up and it, I, I have, to, I render it here, but uh, all the work mm-hmm. is done elsewhere. Oliver, who's doing the special effects, is basically just sending me these small um, alpha channel files uh, and I just lay them on top and, and they basically, they kind of there work. There you go. So yeah, it's been actually a really kind of a, uh, I mean, aside of the the bugs uh, and the crashes, um, the process has been quite quick. Like I, I can get to a rough cut of one of the episodes in about a day. That's uh, pretty but, good. Yeah, it's great. And they're so short too. And I, I mean, I I am an editor. So when I'm directing, I'm kind of, I'm editing when I'm directing and I kind of have a sense, I think of how things are going to cut together. And I already know which takes I want to use uh, by the time I get in here. So I, I feel like it's... Um, it's pretty fast for me to, to work that way. Um, and then our composer, Adrian Ellis, who's also a Hamiltonian here, is, is getting me these lovely scores within a day as well. And then the, you know, the, the sound effects is another day or so. But we're getting these done about, you know, like one a week, uh, which is pretty great. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, next week I think we're going to try and get two done. So uh, we're half done now. We're like we're at episode three, and episode two launches tomorrow. So I just I like to stay a little ahead of the curve. So I hear you. I totally hear you there. We're not trying to edit the episode that's like premiering the next day or anything, you know. So we're we're a couple of weeks ahead anyway. Yeah. More horror with creepy bits in a moment. You get the episodes done, but you obviously have to have a place to show them. So where are you showing and? And obviously a place you can upload them as well. Yeah, uh, they're on YouTube, they're on Facebook, they're on uh, Vimeo, they're on TikTok. I've made a center cut version, like vertical video, basically versions of them for TikTok, which, you know, I never thought I would ever do. But, uh, you know, that, <laughs> that's the world. The yeah. People are watching them and liking them and stuff. So that's uh, that's good. Um, nice. And it actually, it's taken me way less time than I thought it would to to make a center cut version of it. Once we have like a final in the widescreen version, it's uh, it's actually a lot, lot faster and easier than I thought it would be to uh, to create a center cut version. So um, it doesn't add that much extra time, and it it, uh, it plays much better on that on that when you play it full screen vertical on on a platform like TikTok. All the other platforms are widescreen. Um, Although I did put a, a, a center cut version of the trailer on Instagram because uh, the reels I think are I kind of prefer to be they prefer to be vertically uh, oriented. Yeah, yeah. So they're on social media um, at the moment, and uh, I have sent the first episode off to some film festivals. Uh, oh, and good. As as we get, um, I think by the end of the series, uh, I'll be looking to kind of send several episodes to um, film festivals that that uh, that have episodic content because uh, when you're competing in a short film category in a film festival, often they want exclusivity, they want premiere status, or they want it not to be online. Um, with episodic stuff, if they're if they're programming it, then they accept that yes, this is already online, but we're we're still going to showcase it anyway. So I'm kind of looking for film festivals uh, that are that are more um, open to episodic content because that's uh, I mean that's what this is, but it's also uh, they're much more flexible about where where it lives and uh, and stuff. So yeah, there is one project in development that you're working on right now. If you can talk about uh, about that. Yeah, Limbo's Limbo's great. Yeah, it's a teen. Uh, it's a teen. I'd say it's in the horror genre, but also uh, fantasy adventure, supernatural kind of thing. It's about a ghost uh, who is stuck inside of a house, and there's a new family that's moved in, uh, and in order for him to get out of the house, he's got to negotiate uh, consent from the young woman uh, who's pretty much his age. Uh, to be able to take over her body and get out of the house uh, inside of her body. So we're kind of using possession as a metaphor for consent. Uh, and we've got um, a pretty big universe of creatures uh, that are, are trying to get into this world without consent uh, that they're going to have to basically end up fighting. So it's a little bit of um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh meets sort of a traditional ghost story and that's a one hour uh teen kind of focused uh, like older teen like stranger things kind of audience uh that we're just starting to pitch next month um yeah yeah but the, the script is amazing i didn't write it uh which is probably why it's so amazing <laughs> so, uh, my friend matthew mcfadgen did and he's an excellent writer and um, we've got a great team together on that with um nicole stamp and aurora brown as well who are they're canadian um uh, folks, but uh, if uh, 
Uh, maybe there's some Canadians listening to it too, so they might know who they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not to kind of rest, you're going full tilt. You're also doing a tap or, or in the process of uh, kind of uh, creating a sci-fi series called Meld. Yeah, yeah, and that's a few years old now. Um, and I did have that option with a company that was pitching it, and they did pitch it to Netflix, and they they came back and said, "Oh yeah, we've got something about AI that's already in development." And it sounded like it was a line, uh, but then I heard from a friend of mine who's an actor that they got um, they got a call uh, to do an audition for a, a Netflix sci-fi show about AI. So they do have something in development, but uh, I, I mean, thematically it sounds a little the same, but from what I, what I've been able to, to find out about it so far, it, it's very, it's very different. So yeah, so uh, that, that's already the scripts done on that and the pitch text done. So uh, when I, when I finish my work on creepy bits here, I'm going to get back to, uh, to trying to get uh, someone interested in that one. But I did a concept trailer for it a few years ago that, um, that's on my website that, that people can check out. Yeah. And then I also have a feature film, uh, that again, Mara Slaughter. Mara Slaughter. Yeah. Yeah. That's about, uh, two robotics engineers who kind of accidentally get wound up in this white supremacist, uh, plot to, uh, to start blowing things up. They, they're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, um, they get kidnapped and beaten up and left for dead. But uh, Mara survives and steals the uh, the, the uh, exosuit that they've been working on and uses it to, to go enact her revenge against her captors. So uh, so it's kind of a traditional uh, revenge thriller kind of thing with some fun little twists and, and uh, extra gory stuff at the end. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and we're, I'm pitching that one. So, I mean, uh, hey, any producers out there looking for fun stuff? Uh, I've got a few things on the go. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that sounds good. So, here is the episodes that are available. Babyface, where a baby monitor shows things that shouldn't be there in the baby's room to a new mom. Occupied has a flight attendant looking for passengers that vanished. Special guest has a young couple separated in a series of underground tunnels. The gift has a young boy getting a gift that he doesn't want from a clown. It's possessed. Pitter-patter follows the sounds of a young girl running around the school at night that haunts a janitor that works there. Soul Sucker has a young woman who is interrogated about the supernatural death of her boyfriend. And Message, where an envelope left at a woman's door sends her on a search to discover its origin, but there's danger ahead. Visit creepybits.tv for more information of this horror series. And Sci-Fi Talk Plus is available without any commercial interruption. Click on the link in the show notes for a free lifetime subscription offer. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.